So th this is right, right? This is where I stand? Uh, it's really uh, just great to be here. I have prayed for you uh, a lot and heard about you and rejoiced uh, in the establishment of this congregation and its growth and that has just been a, a really terrific thing um, and so I'm super glad to be here. Uh, one of the uh, things that's changing about CCRW in, it includes my own role actually. It's quite weird to find yourself being um, uh, part of a, pr a series of changes that are taking place that I didn't um, particularly foresee or understand uh, and so um, my intention actually as we have Five Dock here and Ashfield as well as Haverfield soon is actually to get around a little bit more between the congregations and so at least for the next few months and quite possibly ongoingly uh, I hope that I will see you more and um, Matt probably won't tell you when I'm coming just in case you don't want to see me more uh, and uh, this morning was very was smaller after some really big weeks and I wondered if it had been advertised uh, but Matt assured me that it hadn't. I want to uh, kind of enter into this uh, conversation uh, today about this first value of full devotion by asking how does our society cope with religion and in particular with religious extremism. It seems to me that there are two primary strategies that we see worked out in uh, interviews and opinion pieces and politicians statements and endless books and articles and uh, commentary around how our society thinks we can cope with religion. The first is that uh, people say religion's okay although it's a little bit weird and therefore it's definitely the kind of thing that you should keep to yourself. Okay, you've, you've heard this a, a, a thousand times, it's told again and again and again. Uh, you should keep it to yourself. It's a bit like an embarrassing habit. Uh, say, collecting royal family memorabilia. You know what I mean? No one would own up to that, right? Or, or maybe an embarrassing condition like fungal toenails. Uh, you just don't advertise it. That's what religion is. It's like that and you just keep it private. The second strategy is that if you're going to be religious in this scientific and rational day and age, then it's crucial to be moderate. Okay, so if the first bit is to be private, the second approach is to be moderate. A little bit of religion is okay. But the one thing that makes religion genuinely dangerous is to take it too seriously, to be extreme about it. Each time there is an act of religious violence, the commentators and Twitterati expound the dangers of religious zealotry. Uh, you'll hear them, they'll say again and again and again, this, this story, this narrative, that the only hope is if people take their religion in moderate doses. And once more, I think it's easy for us uh, to hear this story, which, as I say, is told uh, a thousand times every week, and gradually to find ourselves unintentionally agreeing with it. Th this mantra that religion is meant to be a moderating force and is best when it's private. And into this kind of atmosphere, I think Jesus speaks with electrifying, electrifying clarity when he says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. That is extraordinarily, radically extreme. So as Matt mentioned last week, we began uh, this, our integrated series for the year, which we've titled Church by Grace, 
the beating heart of CCRW. And over the next few weeks, both here in our services and in our fellowship groups and in the devotional material, we explore our values as a church. Now, values, those um, convictions that guide our life and mission. Often unspoken deep commitments that shape the way we do things around here. They're our way of trying to capture what it means for us in our time and place to be thoroughly, utterly, gospel, saturated and centred. For the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ to seep into every corner and crevice of CCRW. And, and so that's why last week we began with what the gospel is. That makes sense. Uh, from Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, about what is of first importance. And today we begin the values proper. Uh, the first two values, we'll look at this week and next week, are under the heading, Our Vision is Jesus. They speak about our stance toward our living Lord as one of devotion and service. Uh, these values look upward to Jesus. The second two, are under the heading, Our Mission is People. They look outward to the world around us, lost and broken and under judgment in sin. And, and these two values capture our posture towards the world, towards the culture around us. We look upwards to Jesus, our vision is Jesus. We look outwards in mission, our mission is people. And the third pair under the heading, our cause is grace. And in a sense, look inward to the dynamic or power that is at work within us and between us as those who belong to the household of God. And if there's one thing I think that's really clear, it's that Jesus is utterly disinterested in private, moderate religion. As he calls for us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him. And as we read on the screen, we've expressed that in this first value, that um, we seek to cultivate hearts that are fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Because he is fully devoted to us. And so as we look at what it means to live this value out, or as Jesus puts it, to, to lose our lives for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, uh, we're going to take it under three headings. Uh, this is a very non-complicated sermon. Who Jesus is talking about, what Jesus is talking about, and why it has to be this way. Who, what, why. So first then, who? Who is Jesus talking about? Now, th this is a pretty brief point. It's, uh, it's just in passing, but I think it's important to get clear from the start. The, the passage that we read from Mark chapter 8 is widely seen as the kind of the pivot point, the hinge of the whole gospel. Everything changes from this time forward as Jesus becomes really laser-focused on what lies ahead of him in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter, the uh, disciple of Jesus, astonishingly goes from hero to zero in about 30 seconds. In verse 29, he absolutely hits it out of the park. He confesses that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the much-prophesied, long-expected, anointed king who would rescue God's people and overthrow their enemies and establish God's presence again. Verse 29, Peter's looking great. Verse 33... Jesus calls him Satan as Peter tries to rebuke Jesus. Uh, which, by the way, is exactly the same word that is used of when Jesus rebukes the demons when he casts them out. And what, prompts, uh, what that prompts Jesus to, to do is to call a timeout and to instruct the disciples on exactly what they've gotten themselves into and as they bear witness to Jesus, what they're calling other people to get themselves into as well. And Jesus begins in the most comprehensive way. You see what he says? If any want to become my followers. 
if anyone to become my followers. What's clear is that what Jesus is going to go on to say is the basic ground level ordinary business pattern for those who would find in Jesus their light and life. Okay, what, what that means is that what comes next is not for the elite, it's not for the sort of Navy SEALs of the Christian life, the, the, the sort of elite spiritual athletes. Okay, what comes next is just garden variety Christianity, ordinary business Christianity for everyone and anyone who put, wants to put their feet into the footsteps of Jesus. And what I want to do with that observation is just to turn it around and, and, and say this. You see, one of the ways I think that we unintentionally buy into the be moderate mantra of our culture is to create a vision of the super Christian. To create a vision of the super Christian and then to kind of resign ourselves to the fact that I'm not one of them. And that's just the way it is. There's the super Christians and I'm just not one of those. I'm one of the moderate Christians. You know who super Christians are? First and foremost, they are the missionaries, especially the missionaries who go into developing countries or persecuting countries, and doubly especially if they go into persecuting developing countries. But you have, or chances are you will, make a decision not to do that. And what that means is, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You're not a super-Christian. You're not really taking up your cross. You're more taking up your spreadsheet and your newspaper, your spanner. And what I want to point out is, do, do you see how corrosive that is on your soul? If, if that's kind of what you've, the way you've constructed discipleship, there's the super Christians and then there's me and so I'm just going to go into that moderate category. Do you see how contrary to Jesus' words it is? The problem here is that when we do that, we've far too narrowly defined what a super-Christian is. We've made it orbit around a set of life choice decisions that it turns out very few people make. And, and by doing that, what happens is we actually unintentionally let ourselves off the hook in all sorts of other ways. You see, the, the fact is that there's nothing necessarily more cross-taking up about being a missionary or living in voluntary poverty than any other kind of life decision. And, and the, the reason is that what Jesus is talking about here is just simply of a deeper order than that. As we'll see, he's after your soul. He wants everything from you. Far more than where you live or what job you have. And what's clear is that that's for everyone. Okay, what, what he says is for everyone. Uh, for Jesus, there aren't two grades of Christians. There aren't the super Christians who are super committed extremists. And then the rest of us, there's only extremists, you see. There's only extremists. There's only people who deny themselves and take up their cross in order to follow him. That's all the only kind of Christian there is. There's only people who lose their life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. That's the only kind of Christian there is. And the challenge, I think, for us is to figure out how that kind of uh, Jesus-oriented, extraordinary extremism 
works itself out in the middle of an ordinary inner west life. Because it can. So what is it to do that? What, what is it to do what Jesus says here uh, if it's not to become a super-Christian? Point two, what's Jesus talking about? That's the who. Point two, what? So the first thing uh, to see is that what Jesus is talking about has fundamentally to do with what he calls saving and losing your life. Saving and losing your life. This is one of those sort of ear pricks up, heartbeats, you know, speeds up a little bit moment because what's at stake here is really very, very important and it's also very uh, counterintuitive and paradoxical. Verse 35, for those who want to save their life, Jesus says, will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Importantly, the word that Jesus uses for life here, it's translated life, and that's not a terrible translation, uh, but it's the, the Greek word psuche. Um, we get our word psyche uh, or psychological from. And, and what Jesus has in mind is what uh, you might call your soul. Uh, I'm not sure that helps, actually. It's, it's something kind of even more tangible in some ways and more fundamental in other ways. It's your identity. The, the you that you are. The you that you are. If you want to save the you that you are, if you want to be truly you, that's what Jesus is talking about. And you can see how the you that you are is that from which all other life choices and decisions flow. And in particular, he says that whenever you, the way that you construct that identity, the, the way that you feed and nourish and nurture your soul, the way that you know who you are, when that has to do with what Jesus calls gain, it will not work. You see it in verse 6, how he says, For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit your life? What Jesus is getting at is this. Um, every, every culture, ancient cultures, modern cultures, Western, non-Western, every culture has certain things which it says, if you gain this, if you achieve this, if you perform in this way, then you're a good person. Then you're a successful person. Then you're a substantial person. Uh, in traditional cultures, it's sort of orbits all around family. If you gain a family, you marry well, you have kids and build a home, you see grandchildren growing, you sort of do that whole kind of life construction thing all around family, if, if you do that, if you gain that, then you've made it. You've constructed your life. You've, you've, you've built your soul. Now, in our modern secular society, uh, of course, it's not so much about family, although we do have our suburban version of that story too. For us, a gain-based identity has much more to do with other more modern factors, with career and financial success. If you gain those things, if you climb the ladder at work, if you gradually accumulate your investments, if you insulate yourself more and more uh, from even the nastiest financial crisis, then you've gained your soul. Or, or perhaps it's not so crass as career and financial gain, perhaps it's the modern version of family, which is romance. If you find your perfect soulmate, 
the one who says about you and about whom you say, you complete me. Do you remember Jerry Maguire? No one, come on. It's, it's, it's like one of the greatest propaganda movements of the last 20, movies of the last 20 years. In about, you know, 2012 <laughs> or 2002, all the good movies, just like all the good music, come from earlier, right? 1980s, that's why you all dance to 80s music. You complete, I mean, you, you know that this is part of the, one of the myths of our society. You, how, how much do you think that if only I can find that person, if only I can achieve a total union of body and soul with another person, sexual fulfillment, psychological fulfillment, you complete me. Then you've become the real you. Or it might be power. You manage to position yourself so that very few people have any real power over you and that on the contrary, you sit in the power seat in most of your relationships and interactions. Whatever it is, if you build your identity, if you sink your soul into some form of gain, Jesus says very simply, it doesn't work. It can't work. Notice, at least here, Jesus, it's not so much that it's wrong, it's that it fails. You can gain the whole world not just one you know, other little person who's as needy as you are, you can gain the whole world and it still won't establish an identity, says Jesus, you forfeit your life. And when you think about it, it's obvious. Everything dies. Everything breaks. Career, network, resources, health, beauty, power, everything breaks. And if you build your life on any of those things, you will break with them. You'll lose your life. Right now, I'm visiting a couple in hospital. Um, she is dying of heart failure. He's keeping vigil. He's been every day for 12 hours a day for the last seven weeks. They're coming up to their 55th wedding anniversary in November of this year, and she won't make it. And he is entirely rightly and understandably grief-stricken at this. But he's not forfeiting his soul. He's not undone as a person. Precisely because he didn't sink his soul into his wife and his marriage. Actually, in exactly the way Jesus says it here, that is what has made their marriage so successful over the last five and a half decades. Because Jesus says, the only way to save your life is to lose it. To, to let go, terrifyingly maybe. To, to pray what a friend of mine used to call the prayer of relinquishment, to let go of those things as the building blocks of your soul. Or as Jesus puts it, to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Uh, think about it in the ancient world. You didn't take up your cross as a hobby, did you? There was only one time when you took up your cross. It was as you walked between the prison 
and the crucifixion. And, and the journey was one of inevitable outcome. What Jesus is talking about here is a new self built on different realities, a new identity. But it will also evolve uh, what you might call a new agenda. Uh, I mentioned that Peter goes from hero to zero in a short space of time, and the reason is that he takes Jesus' messianic authority, he's, he's, he's clear on that, he takes it, but he applies it to his own agenda. Uh, Peter will be going with Jesus to Jerusalem, as Jesus predicts that he'll suffer and die, and, and Peter's not interested in that kind of pathway at all. The suffering, dying pathway, that's not the pathway when you've got the Son of God on your team. But Jesus knows what it does in fact mean to be Messiah and it's exactly the opposite. So much so that Jesus has to call Peter out with those terrifying words, get behind me Satan. So far from Peter being aligned with Jesus, he's become the unwitting spokesperson for the tempter, the evil one. And so when Jesus goes on to say that it's only in losing your life that you gain it, part of what he includes in that is that you give up your own agenda for your life. Uh, when you catch a taxi, or perhaps more likely these days an Uber, um, you, you exercise real trust in the person who's driving the car to drive safely and well. I, I had to go to um, Adelaide on Thursday. I got an Uber at 10 to 6 uh, in the morning, and um, he was a slightly overconfident, slightly under-experienced driver, and there were several moments in my life when I just thought, oh well, this is it. Uh, he got us there, which is good. You put your life in the hands of someone else when you get into an Uber. But do you notice it's still you who determine the destination? And if you're one of those slightly more obsessive types, then sometimes you'll even determine the route as well as you give directions and say, no, 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 don't go there, go there. Are you one of those people? Being a disciple of Jesus is not activating the spiritual Uber app and getting Jesus to take you where you want to go. It doesn't work like that. It's to give up control altogether. To lose your life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. C.S. Lewis, uh, at the end of his book, Mere Christianity, which is a really, really interesting book, if you hang around in churches for a little while, you'll hear endless quotes by C.S. Lewis, and then if you read Mere Christianity, you'll know where they all came from. Uh, it was a series of radio uh, shows that he did kind of like a, the ultimate podcast, actually, when you think about it, uh, which got turned into a book, and because it was radio, it's got these great turns of phrase. And right at the end of the book, he writes about Mark chapter 8, and this is what he says. He says, Your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours, and yours just because it is his, your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? And he goes on and describes uh, a few uh, examples. He says, The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. <coughs> Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. 
Think about that for a second. Nothing that you have ever not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. And, oh my goodness, I'm 53. That's just about old enough to have seen this work out in practice. I see it again and again. Look to yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. But look for Christ. And you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's the ordinary path of every Christian person. It's the only way to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Which is why we cultivate hearts that are fully devoted to him. Why? Why does it have to be this way? Point three. Well, Peter is clear on what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah and uh, likewise, as I say, Jesus is equally clear. For him, anointed conquering kingship uh, means precisely suffering, rejection and death uh, and to rise again after three days. And of course, that's the gospel, isn't it? What What he's just described then is the gospel. That's the thing for the sake of which it makes sense and you can safely give up your life. That's the thing for the sake of which you can actually die to your agenda. You can hand over not just your safety to Jesus, but even your very conscience and your destination and the journey of life itself. Because if you lose your life into this Jesus, for his sake and for the sake of the gospel which he does, then you will gain it he says. You see, the gospel is that Jesus took up his cross, that Jesus denied himself, that Jesus lost his life. Lost his life physically, yes, that's true, of course, but more than that, lost his own psyche, lost his own identity. On the cross, the eternal grounding reality for Jesus, that he was the Father's Son, loved infinitely, echoing glory to glory with the Father through the Holy Spirit for all eternally. All of that stopped. You remember the prayer, the the despair, the agony of the soul when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, He lost his life, his very soul, his very identity. He lost the Father. And the point is, he did it in love for a world that is breaking apart under the weight of sin and evil, what Jesus calls an adulterous and sinful generation, which needs love and grace and resurrection power desperately. And and the point is, you see, this is the positive side of what it is to deny yourself and to take up your cross. This is the, the positive side of what it is to lose your life for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel. It's to sink your life into him and into his love 
It's to build your psuche, your identity, your soul on the reality, this reality that Jesus suffered and was rejected and was killed for you. The Apostle Paul describes this life of full devotion to Jesus in this way in his letter to the church in Galatia in chapter 2. He says, This life I live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For the Apostle Paul, his entire existence, this side of glory, his life in the flesh is lived inside the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It's defined by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It's painted the same colour as the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And the faithfulness of Jesus Christ is that he loved us and gave himself up for us, except that's not quite right, actually. Because you've got to personalise it. I think it's one of the most beautiful statements in the whole Bible. You need to say it to yourself, right? Say it along with me. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. The actual me. Messy and weak and broken and sinning. The real me. Which, of course, is precisely why he had to love you by giving himself up for you. If you weren't messy and broken and weak and sinning, then he would have nothing to do for you. And precisely in that and because he lost his life, you see, he gained it. He was raised on the third day. He has been given the name that is above every name. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He will come in the glory of his Father to judge the living and the dead. He gained his life. He gained his life. This life of glory. But do you see, only because he lost it. And that's the way it works for you and me too. As you cultivate a heart of full devotion to Jesus, as you live the life you live in every corner and crevice under the light of this gospel, as you die, die to all the other ways in which you might construct your life and into which you might sink your soul, as you do that, so you gain your life. That will be a gloriously extreme life, you see whether in beautiful following of Jesus to a persecuting, developing country as a missionary, that's a great thing to do, or whether in beautiful following of Jesus right here in ordinary Sydney. As you, as you live it with generosity, for example, towards others in love, as you pay attention to others and give yourself to them rather than turning inward when you're deeply worried and stressed, and, and actually, for that matter, not being worried and stressed about the same things as others around you, and so being intriguingly different, because you know that your life is safe in Him. Losing your life like this, gaining your life like this, it will show up in a thousand ways, in and through the particular texture of your personality and opportunities, of your giftedness and temperament, of your capacity and responsibility. Each one of us will all make different decisions, will have different roles, will have different habits and practices, will move in different circles. But if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it will all be painted with the same colour. Every one of us. The colour of extreme, full devotion to Jesus.
a beautiful extremism. An extremism which never crushes or does violence to others. Actually, it will often find itself crushed and having violence done to it, just like Jesus did. And what this value is saying that together we're going to carve out a vision of radical, extreme discipleship right in the middle of our life here in the inner west. Of full devotion to the one who is fully devoted to us. And therefore the only one to whom it really makes sense to give our hearts in full devotion. And we need each other. We need each other because each one of us is so easily tricked into thinking that if we, if we just gain that part of the world, I mean, we, none of us are terribly ambitious, right? Uh, we don't want to gain the whole world. That would be too much. Jesus says you can gain the whole world and it'll, it'll cause you to forfeit yourself. But, but we settle for, if you just gain this little bit, it's so easy to fall into the trap if I just get that, him, her, then it's actually going to be a safe space in which to build our lives and rest our souls. And it's not. And so I need you to speak words of truth, even sharp and pointed truth, into my life. That together we create a kind of deep underlying current, a, a, a rip, a tug in our community where full devotion to Jesus Christ like this makes total sense because Jesus is very clear you don't need some expert to explain it if anyone to become my followers let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we lift our hearts to you in praise and worship. For in a, a love and a mercy, a compassion and a commitment that we can not even scratch the surface of, you gave yourself up. You loved me and gave yourself up for me. And so for each of us we pray, Lord, strengthen us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us such a vision that wherever it is right now, you're calling us to lay down our life. whatever aspect we need to die to now, that you would do your beautiful, life-giving work. By enabling us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow you. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.